The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, nice of you to take off your sunglasses indoors. Uh, All these amazing things going on in sports. We have ejections in the playoffs. We have the Phillies up and down. We have the A's leaving Oakland. We have a great guest coming up, Chris Salissa, to talk about sports and the presidency. Sounds like a great show. You would like to start with traveling on the airplane. Well, so it's, spor- it's sports-related it. because the, it's a Blue Jays pitcher who decided to whine about the fact that he had to pick up popcorn on a plane. To our Mile High correspondent, break it down for us. <laughs> I don't know what else is there to break down. We, we've been having this discussion, you and I, like for the last hour off the air, so I, might, I figure we might as well have it on the air. The fact is, is that this Blue Jays pitcher is complaining because his wife was asked to pick up popcorn because his kids made were made a pigsty out of the airplane. Okay, they said it that she was ordered. I agree with you that she should have potentially cleaned Who's it they? up. The, apparently the, the pitcher said it. Look, and, the airline and for our didn't listeners, say it. We come at this differently. I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old, so I'm regularly cleaning up a mess from my kids, or my wife is regularly cleaning up a mess from our kids. Uh, she was apparently flying by herself. There was popcorn in the aisle, and she was told to clean up the popcorn. Yes. There was a tweet that she was humiliated because she's 22 weeks pregnant, high week pregnancy, high risk pregnancy. All I'm saying is people can have a little bit of empathy and help out too. Yes, she this should is have where, cleaned this is after where, her children. Well, that's the answer. This is not an empathy issue. Why? If clean she up after can't your kids. Get down or she's having a problem. Help out. Okay. Yes, clean up after uh, your kids. Uh, and and how old was the kid? There's a five-year-old and a okay. two-year-old. You and think you, the two-year-old's getting you, down a... Have you ever asked your five-year-old five year to clean up after themselves? Yeah, he'll get the big ones. There's no way he's getting the little ones. Little ones what? It's popcorn. There were little crushed pieces of popcorn. Pick did you them look, up. Did you look at the picture before yes, you decided you wanted to bring this up on yes, the radio? Yes, I did. I think that you should pick up after yourself. Okay, well, I'll keep a little vacuum with you, and you can go around cleaning up after right, everybody well, then. Just do me a favor. Would you like to come and help out with my kids when I'm a bad parent and don't clean it up, apparently? No, you should clean it up. That's I don't the whole clean point. it up. Well, then I don't need to come and clean it up, do I? No. We still have extra mess. Uh, we can use you. <laughs> well, then you're not very good at cleaning up, is well, what okay. your point is. Now, if we're back to the story of show, I'm not very good at yeah. much of anything. Haven't we established that in all the years we've been doing a radio show? I thought the one thing you'd be good at at this point in your life is picking up after yourself. Uh, I'm good at picking up after my kids. Ask my wife if I'm good at picking okay, up well, after then, myself. Okay, well, then I don't know what the argument is. The, the fact is that she should have picked up after her kids. I just think roasting her and not knowing the full story. Who's roasting her? Everybody on social media. Well, okay, so that's a separate thing because the fact is. Don't is read the comments, her, by the way. The comments are okay, unbelievable. If the Blue Jays pitcher, I don't know what his name is, but if the Blue Jays pitcher had not tweeted this, nobody would be roasting anybody. I, I agree. Okay, and I, so I told if you he wanted we to complain air, to the United States. They should have just gone go to the ahead. airline. They should have gone to the airline and said they had an issue. Instead, they decided to publicly put them on blast and therefore open themselves up to questioning about their own behavior and their parenting. That was okay. their choice to do. And, and and let's keep in mind this this family is used to being involved in the public yes. because his wife is the sister of Jesse James Tech. Have, have we spent enough time on airline talk? Can we talk about where they're not going to yes, fly? Yes, as long as you clean up after yourself while I'm present. Do you know where they're good. not going to fly? They're Oakland? not, not going to fly to Oakland to see an A's game. 
because the A's are getting out of town. Uh, your thoughts on what seems to be the start of the end? You know, it's funny. Six years ago, I got my start on this show coming in to talk about three teams relocating. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And Vegas. It, it, well, Vegas. Well, the Raiders the- were one of them. Uh-huh. And it was to talk about antitrust issues. And here we are now talking about the other Oakland team leaving. And, and you know, it's funny because my position evolves, I think, with regard to each situation. Because I hate the fact that, like, San Diego Chargers left San Diego to go to L.A. In this case, I don't – I feel bad for the Oakland A's fans. The problem is there are not many Oakland A's fans. And if they can't support a team – then the team can't be there because the Oakland A's, even though they play Moneyball, are never going to be a competitive team. Do you think the owners supported the team there and the fans? I, I don't know, but I but it, but as an owner of a team, if you never had that, they never had the support of the city. When they, they have well, they didn't have it from the city, but when they okay, went on those well, runs, that's a the, big thing. What, that's a different thing than having the support of the fans. And I think the fans have boycotted the way that the ownership has treated the team as much as anything. Well, they're doing a, they were going to do it. They were going weeks, to do a, a reverse show up at the ballpark, yes. which apparently will be too late. But I, I don't know. I just have a problem with the owner being rewarded for basically tanking the franchise to get out of town because he didn't but like you, the but, town. Well, wait, but do you know whether or not the Oakland A's have, were tanking or whether or not this is all they could afford Sorry. when they don't have fans there? It wasn't tanking. And it, I think they're even planned cuts. No, but but I think that they're even punished under the revenue sharing where they don't get as much as other low market teams like the Pirates. They shouldn't. They don't spend Why? as much. Because How they, can they spend money? There's I I was there last year, that 2 years ago. There's nobody there. So now that he's in Vegas and and by the, and by the way, well, I think Are they he going will. to do Moneyball in Vegas? No, I think I think in Vegas they're going to have fans. And it, they're going to have a new Not fan as base. many as the Raiders, apparently, according to your travel well, no, guides. No, no, that's not fans. So what, what it said in the article that Mile I was reading Mile High Jeff returning, who will be the <laughs> correspondent. Exactly. Is that, that when the Raiders moved, apparently they brought with them 800,000 new tourists to Vegas per season. I don't know how they calculated that. It said for the A's, though... They would only bring 400,000 per season. Which you also don't know how they calculate. Yes, because <laughs> we're talking eight, nine games versus 40, 41 games. But I think what the issue is. is No, that, 81 games. No. 162 games in baseball. Yes, you're right. My math is bad. <laughs> I was thinking basketball. Like, that's what I don't understand. So, so, well, no, but I think that baseball is a more regional thing. Yeah. Like, like, I don't think people travel as much. Like, I mean, you see, just being in this city, Phillies fans will travel somewhat. Eagles fans will travel anywhere. anywhere. Lots of them. Yes. It becomes like a destination. It becomes a vacation. There's businesses for them to do. now that run trips right. for Eagles fans to games. So, yeah. So, like, if the Eagles go play the Raiders, how many Eagles fans are going to Vegas? Well, let's talk about the rise of Vegas. In the last 10 years, they've got the Formula One Grand Prix, right. Final Four, That's what the you NFL start with? Draft, the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl, the Golden Knights, the Raiders, the Aces, and the A's. Right. And they'll likely end up with a basketball team there when the NBA right. expands here. Mm-hmm. That's in the last 10 years, the growth of sports there when forever people stayed out of Vegas because of the gaming. Right. Now, all of a sudden, that's not a thing. Well, except for the well, fact that the NFL suspends people right. for gambling, but which we'll get to in a second. But like the rise of Vegas as the sports capital, 
I don't know is something that people well, saw a, coming it, so quickly. Well, think about it. It's just a destination. Yeah. More than almost any other city that teams are going to go to or away fans are going to go to, Vegas is a destination. You don't just go there for the game. You go there for the gambling, for the shows, for the food. There's lots of other things to do. And there's no water there, but there's lots of other things to do. But back to the point with the A's, just one last thing. Everybody who's sitting there saying how tragic the A's are leaving, this will be the fourth city they've been to. They started here. They were the Philadelphia A's, and then they were the Kansas City A's, and then they were the Oakland A's, and now they're going to be the, I assume they're going to keep the Has any other team changed so many times? I don't know the like answer. I, I, I shouldn't I, ask you these questions on the air when neither of us know the answer. We <laughs> well, no, I think like you like asking me the question where I don't know an answer. But, but if I don't know it either, I can't sound smart and throw but, it out But there. hey, Oakland fans, you can just go across the bay, just like South Jersey people can travel over the bridge hearing and see a Philadelphia sporting event. And you can root for the Giants in one of the most beautiful outdoor stadiums. Don't they in already have to go to San Francisco to root for the Warriors now? Right. So, so I, I, it's not like they don't have somebody to root for. Yeah, well, Oakland's lost three sports teams in like five years, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, the city is—it's not a very wealthy city. The most of the money in Northern California is on the other side of the bay in San Francisco. So this is what happens. You, it's. It's not surprising that that area can't support two sports franchises in every in every sport. All right. Well, I'll give you the gambling lead into the basketball game last night okay, so we can get to it. some Sixers. Uh, the let's answer, talk De- Detroit Lions. Is that De- what you're about to say? Let's talk gambling for a second, and yeah. then I'll get into the Sixers. So Detroit uh, has had three players suspended. What, five players suspended? Three for the season? Some players have been suspended indefinitely. Those players bet specifically on NFL games, not their own games, supposedly, but NFL games, which is specifically against the policy. Other players, including I think it was last year's Detroit Lions first round pick, apparently bet on the team's facility, in the team's facility, not on NFL games, but the fact that they merely bet on the team's facility or bet when they were on a business trip involving the team, that led to those two players being suspended for six games. I just find it so silly. You can Why? Because you can bet next door, but you can't bet here. They can do that. They no. can place that baseball bet at the gas okay. station outside the facility. First of all, they How should... How many enforcement people do you want teams First to have? First of all... Let, wait, let me just... Why should they have to enforce it? It's a legal bet. No, the... the you don't want athletes gambling, okay? But they're allowed to. Those two players who were suspended weren't suspended for gambling. Yeah. They were suspended for where they gambled. If they went across the street to a gas station, then they wouldn't that. have been suspended. Exactly. They're in the throng for not doing it in a different You're place. You're the one who knows all about geofencing and everything yes. else. What they don't want is they don't want FanDuel or any of those other sites showing up on anything that they're doing while they're in the team. That's facility. a different story. No, that's not a different story because that way you don't have to enforce it. The answer is while you're on these grounds, just don't bet. Period. Then I don't I have to worry about. I agree. They it. shouldn't have bet there. I just think it's. Oh, well, then it's stupid. not stupid. It you stupid. you just you just made my point. It's not stupid. Well, again, it's people just can, so they don't have to deal with it. People can make decisions that you disagree with, and the response can also be something you disagree with. I can think she should have cleaned up the popcorn and think. Oh, people you're going back to empathy. the popcorn. I can think that they should have not bet there, and think it's a stupid rule that they can vote. Uh, that they can they bet can next vote. door at the gas station, but not at the facility because it's a legal bet. 
bet. They couldn't place a no, football just, bet at the gas They station. just don't want you doing it on the facility grounds. It makes perfect that. sense uh, to it me. It does make sense. I and by the way, it. I didn't just, say just so we're clear, I agree with it. All of these players at the beginning of the season get told all of these things. Of course they do. These rules are all over the place in the facilities and stuff like that. And for, for the NFL players, Calvin Rid- Ridley was suspended well, two seasons I'm ago not for this very thing. I'm not defending the players. They should have done it off-site. Okay. I'm just saying that what they did was not illegal. It's where they did it. No. Well, it was illegal. That's what got in trouble. It was illegal under the NFL rules. It may not be, be illegal that you're going to real jail, but when it comes to NFL jail, yes, you're going to NFL jail for not following the rules. And the problem, uh, now we're getting into a bigger issue with society. The we don't have that is, long. Okay. The <laughs> fact is, if there are rules and you've agreed to follow these rules and you break the rules, then you should just say what Jameson Williams, I think that's his name, actually said. Hey, I take responsibility for this. I shouldn't have done it. I knew the rule. Agree. And that's it. Saying the rule is stupid puts down the rule. The rule exists, period. Follow the rule wait, and don't say it's Wait stupid. a second. You can't know that a rule exists and criticize it? I don't have to like it, but I can still say they, they should can, follow it. They can. The union agreed to these rules. And they should follow it. That right. doesn't mean I think it makes any sense at all. But it does. Okay. We're going to leave all that right. there. If any of them bet. I the, win. If any <laughs> of them bet the under on the Sixers game last night. Oh, now you're they going lost to when gambling. De, they lost when DeAnthony Melton hit that shot when the ball was thrown away. But the bigger story is the ejections and lack of ejections during the game last night. Uh-huh. Jeff, that was a bonkers basketball game. It was such an inconsistent, uneven game. Uh, I know we have officiating or the actual game. I was going to say we have lots of officials on this show. We've had umpires, refs. That one was tough last night. There was no consistency at all. But your issue is that they should have been harder on the Sixers. My issue is if you were were going to throw out any of the two players, Embiid more deserved it. Because he kicked someone in the ding ding. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like to say that he kicked him in the leg. No, he didn't. He, he, first of all, and and this was Doc's point, and it gets larger with Draymond Green and everything else. Mm -hmm. Doc's point is if you're going to find, uh, to punish the retaliator, you should also punish the instigator. Right. It started because he stepped over him, which generally would have gotten a technical if Embiid hadn't tried to kick him. Right. But the fact that Embiid kicked him made Embiid the story got reviewed and he got a flagrant one. I think he actually should have gotten a flagrant two for it. If you're going to follow this flagrant one, flagrant two thing, Mm -hmm. then you have Harden later in the game who was just trying to get separation and happened to get separation in that part of the guy's body. And all of a sudden, instead of a common foul or a flagrant one, there's no warning. It's a flagrant two, which seemed like a makeup call for not kicking Embiid out early in the game. Okay. I just, there's no consistency in any refereeing in basketball. I think there's consistency. They make mistakes sometimes. So they consistently make mistakes. No, there aren't that many mistakes. Like the big mistake, apparently, what you're saying is the big mistake is Embiid should have been thrown out too. If you're going to follow those rules. Now, it depends which NBA And the person that walked over him should have been suspended. Not suspended. He should have gotten a technical for taunting. That's what they do in this league. I'm not saying I like it. If you were the official at the game, you would have given who stepped over him. Nick Claxton. Okay, so when Nick Claxton steps over Embiid, he should have gotten a technical. Yeah, and then when Embiid kicks him in the ding ding, he should have been thrown out. 
Either a flagrant one or a flagrant two. I would have probably one? I would have probably gone flagrant one because I don't. Wasn't well, that what he got? No, he got a flagrant two, or he got a flagrant one. Uh, so <laughs> I'm totally. Confused You're confusing now. yourself now. Which what is it? You're the, we, I just made you ref for a day. You you just made Harden's my argument. The, for Harden's me. the one who got the flagrant two for no right. reason. Right. So you're saying MB got the right penalty. I would have given them both flagrant ones. I would okay. have. I would so have given either flagrant So the only thing you think that the refs did wrong is that Harden shouldn't have been thrown out, even though he punches a guy. Again, it gets back to following the rule versus yeah. how it's applied. The NBA generally does not eject superstars from a game for that type well, of thing. Well, they they do do it when they have a history of this. And let's face it, Embiid has a long history of technical fouls. True. <laughs> Uh, not kicking somebody in the jaw. No, 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 that's not my point. I mean, the, Draymond Green doesn't have a history of kicking people in the groin all the time. So what's Harden's he has, history? He has a history of cheap, cheap backs. But Draymond didn't get thrown out of the game. Draymond got suspended for his history. He got right. thrown out of the game for the action. Right. And B didn't get thrown out of the game. The question is, will he be suspended? What did Harden get thrown out of the game for? He doesn't have a history of it. Well, they thought that his was more intentional. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I don't think it was a, a cascading event, a bunch of events that all of these calls were wrong. Now that we've gone through them, it looks like the only one that might have been an overreaction was Harden. That's what it seemed like to me. Okay. So that, Harden was so that doesn't mean the refs were, were horrible. It means the refs no, made no, there one was, there call. Was, there was plenty of other calls that were questionable during the game. Okay. There were there were lots of questionable calls during the game. Regardless, Sixers down five, two minutes and 15 seconds left. They held the Nets to just 15 points in the fourth quarter, finished on a 26 to 15 run. Maxi stepped up. Tyrese Maxi, 10 points in a row at the end of the game. A huge block from Embiid. And who you're is, now about to make the argument after a full season of going, huh? To tell me why P.J. Tucker is, is the the difference maker that's going to get them past the second round. Playoff PJ, right? Well, no. Wait a second. Before we were on the air, you were telling me how much of a different maker PJ Tucker and DeAndre Melton are. In this series. To this team. In in this series, they're playing the Nets. All I have is the sample Not the Harden, Irving, Durant Nets. Just because you want me to put everything in the perspective of whether they beat Boston doesn't mean you can't actually look at what's going on on the court here. The superstars on this team have not really played great. They haven't had their best series. Who? It's been Maxi and Tobias and Tucker. And played bad? He didn't play bad. They've been double and triple. How many rebounds tri- did he have he, in They've been two? double and triple teaming right. him. He's so how not is he the playing lead man? scorer. Do you know how many plays Tucker's kept alive just by knocking the ball out, getting a rebound? How many? A lot. Are how, you, how many? You want me to count next time? Yes, I do, because I want to see some statistic on P.J. Tucker that shows up. I can't believe that he finally shows up on the court, and you're like, no, 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 no. Let's just throw him out. What? I don't like, This is the whole reason they got him to play now, and he did what they were supposed to do. You, you're discounting it because of who they're playing. Exactly. I just am not, I am not going to, to stand buy, up and applaud because they're playing you garbage. You refuse to take it game by game. If yes. they don't get past anything as next round, then it doesn't matter to you. None of this matters. Okay. You walk outside this studio and you're going to find about a couple million people in Philadelphia that are going to say the exact same thing. Nobody in this city cares about the Sixers unless they make about. You make can it past still the enjoy round. it while saying it doesn't matter unless they get you? passed. 
of all people. I'm trying to enjoy it. A- after six years of listening to you and how you can enjoy the season and me telling you just enjoy it now, you're going to lecture me so on I've whether or not finally take your you advice enjoy and you it. flip the other side of the couch now and I can't enjoy anything. I'm telling you with regard to this, you want to enjoy this, you go ahead and enjoy it. I'm just telling you it doesn't mean anything. So will you then? You can okay, enjoy it. So let's follow your logic. Yeah. They beat Boston. Jeff's all in with his Sixers gear at that point. You're a bandwagon, Jeff. You're on there. You're if, in. If they Can't ma- root for him now. We're in then. It doesn't make me a bandwagon jumper just to sit there and say, I don't think they're going to make it past the second will, round. Will you let me they be excited? If, history. Will you let me be excited if they will in the next round? Am I allowed to enjoy that? You can enjoy it right now. It doesn't seem like I'm just. It. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't go out and buy my my uh, championship round playoff tickets. I wasn't. I was just trying to enjoy the action of the court. And they've actually had some players who have played rather well. Against the Nets. Against the team they were matched up in the playoffs. Right. The, like, that's the how Nets. it worked out. The Nets. The, uh, Boston's playing the Hawks. That's right. what happened. And if I were a Celtics fan, I wouldn't be particularly excited about the fact that we're beating the Hawks. Well, that's actually you would be. With Trey Young, who, it's actually who appears good to for, be a coach killer. It's actually good for both teams because they get rested. I'm more interested in the matchups out west. Wasn't it like, how many years ago was it the Sixers lost to the Hawks? Last two? Two years year. ago? Last year. Was it last year? And this is what happened has happened to Trey Young? In, right, it was no. last year. Embiid broke his face in the Toronto series. <laughs> broke his face. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's his, it's, no, it was his eye, I think. I don't think he broke his whole face. <laughs> Are you watching <clears throat> what's going on out west with the, the Kings and the, the Warriors? Yes. And that's a fun series. Yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, the problem is, is Golden State's not the home team in this, and and they can't for some reason win on the road this year. It's a tough atmosphere in Sacramento that they're playing there. It's good to see them back in the playoffs, though. I mean, it's exciting for Sacramento. Are you surprised that Nick Nurse got fired in Toronto? Yes, I am. I think. I, I mean, he 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 won a championship, the first championship in the team's history, and in the last couple years. They've lost player after player, including the, the star that was that team. I don't think this is Nick Nurse's fault that, that the Raptors are not good. Got about five minutes till we have to hit the break before we go to our... I will tell you, though, with Kawhi Leonard, yes, he brought them an NBA championship, but Kawhi Leonard, he cannot... Greg Popovich was completely right Can't to trade him, trade him when he did. Well, because the fact three. is, as great as he can be, he is the most unreliable player in the NBA. Yeah, he, he and pa- I don't blame Pop. Three hours before game time last night, he wasn't available. How can that be? You, you, that game was so important without Paul George already. And apparently, his communication with his coach and the team is just atrocious. Like you can't have this happening year after year. The whole reason that they have him on this—he is the load management king. And the purpose was to get him just to this point so that he can play in these games and three hours beforehand, sorry, can't play. We've only got about three and a half minutes till we hit the break. Um, I'm taking the kids down to the stadium on Sunday for the Fanatics' birthday to see the Phillies game. You went this week. What should I know? Pay attention. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the thing that I can tell you about baseball is now. is I, I'm so used to the relaxed nature of baseball and so much time between pitches that now you can't look away. I mean, it's literally, batter comes up to the plate, you hear the walk-up music, and 30 seconds later, they may have been struck out. It really does go that quick to the point that I went for the first time last night. 
had a great time. The fact is, I missed things. Like my kid texted me at one point and he's like, I can't believe that they were calling strikes because they didn't get back in the batter's box. I'm like, when did that happen? He's like, just now. So there's not good enough communication in the stadium to let you know that. There's not. So the one thing there is not is like on the scoreboard, the giant. How is the new scoreboard? The the scoreboard is giant. They don't put any any useful information on it. Like for some reason, the stats are not up there all the time. Like they have plenty of area to put on anything that you could possibly want. Maybe it's some of the it's stats they don't there. want to put up there for some of the players. Yeah. Well, the problem is not the players for the most part, their stats. The problem is is that they don't seem to be able to put something together consistently. I mean, if I would have told you at the beginning of the season that Bryson Stott, Alec Bohm, and Marsh would be batting over 300. I don't know if Bohm is at this point. But Marsh and Stott would be batting over 300 and playing as well as they did. You would assume that all the other players were then knocking them in. They've That's got, not happening consistently. They brought the highest team batted, batting average in baseball into Thursday night. And, and they scored held, zero runs against one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. They've been held to two or fewer runs eight times already this season. They've got 18 no home runs. That's the same number as the Marlins. It makes no sense. And, and it's not that they always have a power outage. They're 3-3 three and three in their last six games. In the three wins, they put up 26 runs and 46 hits. In the three losses, no runs and 12 hits. Explain it. There's no consistency That's, in yeah. terms of what's going on. Meanwhile, it looks like Bryce Harper's ready to come back. I'm concerned that that he's coming back too early. I, I, to, I told you before with this is like you know for years we watched Joel Embiid and every time he would fall down you'd go okay oh, it's the end of the I season. I still do it. I did it all night. And, and Bryce Harper is going to come up every time and every time he high fives somebody or every time he slides or every time he throws the ball you're just going to go is he okay? The second he gets up slow you're going to go. It, it's going to everybody's going to be on pins and needles for quite a while. It seems like they are moving towards an early May return, which would probably be one of the faster returns from Tommy John's surgery. They go out to a West Coast swing against the Dodgers uh, in early May, May 1st. I believe his doctor is out there. So you could end up potentially, if he gets cleared for sliding, you he see did, the, He did get cleared for sliding. Not head first yet. Right. That's what they're waiting for. So he's cleared to slide feet first. They're worried about him diving back into first. No, the real concern now is if they put, because he, now he wants to play first base, is, is whether he can throw. Whether he can throw and also diving That's back the in on the leadoff. Mm-hmm. Jeff, a couple seconds before we hit the break. Any last thoughts before we kick it over and come back to Crystalism? Enjoy Fanatic Day. Oh, I'm definitely going to have fun. It's there. his birthday. They, uh, the kids are very excited. Make sure you it. clean up all the food after your kids. How did I know you were going to say that? Jeff, let's hit the break. When we come back, we'll talk President's Sports with Crystalism. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right, uh, Jeff, if, if you're into politics and sports uh, like we are, we're kind of junkies, then, then this book is for you. The new book is Power Players, Sports, Politics, and the American Presidency. Let's welcome to the show author, former White House correspondent, political reporter, and editor, Chris Saliza. Chris, congratulations on the launch of the book. 
Oh man, it feels like uh, a long time coming. I had the, <laughs> thank you for the congratulations. I had the idea like three years ago. So the fact that it's finally out in the world is like actually somewhat surreal, but thank you. Chris, most people who do know you know that you have a foot in both places, in politics, in sports, in your personal life and in your professional life. Mm -hmm. What made you decide that this was the kind of book that you wanted to write? (laughs) Well, in part that, uh, that that I've always sort of been, I've always had two things I'm really interested in, politics and sports. And so I had been looking for a long time at how could I combine those two in a smart way? Like obviously you could just smash the two together and, you know, try to write something. But, and I got to looking at presidents and sort of the sports that they played, the sports they loved, the sports they watched as they got older and try to figure out what could that say about who they are, both, both who they were as people and then sort of how they governed. I was somewhat skeptical going into the research. You know, I think you always go in and say like, here's an idea I have, but I don't, I don't know if it's going to be born out. The good thing. And the the reason that there is a book is, is that it was born out that a lot of these guys, the lessons they learned from playing sports and and in some cases from watching sports uh, really do carry over in our sort of a telling window into how they, how they approach the world. You know, you, your book covers everybody from Eisenhower to Biden. Uh, everybody except for LBJ really had sports had played sort of an essential role mm-hmm. when they ran for office or how they viewed the world. Um, having worked in politics, very interested in public image. Talk to us about presidents who use sports to help make them more relatable and, and shape yeah. their public persona for people. Totally. So I think that the best way to think about sports, vis-a-vis politics, is sports is a common language that lots and lots and lots of people speak. If your job in politics is to reach people where they are, to convince people that you care about them, that you know them in some meaningful way, um, sports gives, since sports fandom gives a, a really powerful vehicle to do that. What's interesting about it is some of the presidents who were the sportiest by nature didn't do a good job of using sports to reach out. And some of the presidents who were the least sporty by nature did do a good job. So I'll give you back to back examples. So Ronald Reagan, uh, he was a lifeguard growing up. He played football. I mean, very briefly at, at Eureka college in, in California, like not, not big time college football at all, not terribly athletic and not terribly interested in, in, Uh, sports, not a guy who's going to like watch a baseball game or even a football game on the weekends. But Reagan understood that being associated with winners in athletics and everywhere else was really important and a good thing for him. So he formalizes the process of bringing winning championship teams to the White House. So before that, I think a lot of people assume that's been going on forever. It really hasn't. It's been going on since sort of the early 80s. Prior to Reagan being in office, um, the Celtics came to the White House in 1963. They came on a tour. Kennedy, JFK realized they were there and kind of like made it a little special, but they weren't there to like be honored. They were there on a tour. Um, In 1916, the Washington Senators came to the White House. Calvin Coolidge invited them, which is weird because he's not even like a baseball fan. But regardless, um, but it hadn't been formalized in any meaningful way. 
until Reagan got there, which is weird because Reagan is not a sports fan, but Reagan loved the pomp and the sort of pageantry of having the team there. They give them the kind of Reagan number one Jersey, you know, with the, with the one on the back or the 38, whatever president he was on the back. And he loved all that stuff. And he understood at some sort of fundamental level that even for people who didn't really love Ronald Reagan, him being pictured with the Lakers, you know, with magic and, and Kareem, Kurt Rambis, uh, that, that like that was a good thing for his overall persona. Now, the contrast of that is his vice president. So George Herbert Walker Bush is probably the, the sportiest president ever elected. The guy is good at lots of things. He played baseball. He was a first baseman at Yale, light hitting, good fielding, um, captain of the team, horseshoes, jumping out of a, a plane, parachutes. Uh, like he, he did any, anything you could do tennis, anything you could do that was sporty. He did the problem. And it's not really a problem in life, but it was a problem for him in politics. It's like from a very young age, he is, his mother teaches him sportsmanship, that it's about the we versus the me that you have to talk about the team versus you. So he'll come running in from a baseball game when he's a kid and say, Oh mom, I, I got two hits and I had three RBIs. And she would always give him the like, well, how did the team do, George? So he was he was very focused on that. And I actually think it worked to his detriment in the White House because he was not good at touting his own accomplishments. He was always kind of talking about how the group had done, done something, how his cabinet had helped. And as a result, I think people didn't realize what he had actually done. I think it's one of the reasons that Bush is one of the um, – after he left office, his the impression of him has improved significantly because I think people were like, oh, he actually did do a bunch of things. He was just really bad at talking about it. And I think at least some of that had to do with the way he was raised and in sports. You know, you mentioned uh, Reagan bringing teams to the White House. Is that something that political that Reagan figured out or is that something political consultants figured out? And can you tell us a story you had in your book about the Giants and, and popcorn? Yes. So. <laughs> So I don't to answer your first question candidly, I don't know whether it was consultants or Reagan. I would lean toward Reagan only because I think Reagan understood from his time with um, uh, in acting and his time, you know, working. He was a Cubs radio announcer before he went to Hollywood. Like, I think he understood perception and creating a scene for people and uh, who you associate yourself with and why it matters. Um, but I don't know the answer to that. Yes. So when the Giants win the Super Bowl, you know, this was one of this was famously Harry Carson. They pour the they pour the Gatorade on Bill Parcells. It's a, it's a big deal. So when Reagan comes, uh, when the, when the Giants come to the White House to visit Reagan, uh, they dump popcorn on Reagan because popcorn is his favorite thing. And again, like Reagan got that you got to go along with that and have fun with it. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if uh, uh, I'm trying to think who, who it would be, but let's say Joey Bosa uh, dumped popcorn on Donald Trump. Like I'm not, I'm not I, don't, I don't know how well that would go, but like Reagan understood intuitively. And that's why I get, I would guess at least part of wanting winners to come to the white house was him. He understood intuitively that, this having fun with these folks being seen as kind of like their equals being, they, they kind of respect him. He respects them all, all accrued to the good for Ronald Reagan. And at the end of the day, Ronald Reagan was very focused on what's good for, I mean, 
on, on just like lots of politicians, what's good for Ronald Reagan and what makes him look good to the American public. And that was one of them. So having fun with Harry Carson was part of the deal. You look at different consequential moments for our country throughout the book and through the lens of sports, whether it's George Bush throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium, Jimmy Carter boycotting the 1980 Olympics, the so the U.S. hockey team beating the Soviets. Talk to us about the intersection of sports and international politics that we see weave through the book. Yeah. So I think I think the the one uh, first of all I think sort of the seminal moment the beating heart of the book the thing that most people identify with is is Bush throwing the first pitch at Game Three of the World Series in New York I, I think for a lot of people that was a an example that sports isn't just sports and politics isn't just politics right that it can it can be both um, but I think the one I don't talk about as much and, and intrigues me is the eighty. The, the, the decision to skip the 80 Olympics. Um, I think for Carter, it was an underestimation or a, a, a misunderstanding of the power that the U.S. competing on the international stage, particularly against Russia, uh, competing on the international stage could have. Well, Carter didn't have a super sporty background. His father played tennis when he was growing up. He ran. He played a little bit of basketball, but he, he was not – Dwight, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, he was not, nor was he Gerald Ford, right? I mean, he, he was not a great athlete. Um, I think he misunderstood the power that sports had there. There were a number of people who tried, including athletes, who tried to emphasize to him how important the Olympics would be. And honestly, how important going there and kicking ass would, would, would be for for the United States that it would send a message. I think Carter got so far down the road of, of making the choice and then not willing to be, to be uh, convinced otherwise that plus his sort of unfamiliarity with how powerful sports can be in international diplomacy, by the way, Reagan, who, who, who follows him in office totally understands that Reagan opens the 1984 Olympics. Reagan is intimately involved as much as a president can be in the Olympics because he grasps that like, this is a national point of pride. This is a thing that is not just sports and not just politics, but is both of them at the same time. But I think in some ways it's telling that Carter didn't grasp that because I feel like his presidency, you look back and it's a series of missed opportunities. And, and that clearly was one. He thought he was doing the right thing with the boycott. He thought he would get more support from the international community. He did not get enough support from the international community. And lots and lots and lots of American athletes are still bitter about the fact that they didn't get to compete in 1980. So it, it didn't, it, I think it hurt him much more than it helped them. In looking at the different presidents and the different sports that they focused on, baseball seems to be the sport that is the least, least, least of an issue when you look left or right. Is, mm-hmm. is there one sport or that seems to be more polarizing than others? And is there one, is baseball the sport that's less, the least polarized? Well, the, so the most common sport that they all played was golf. Now we can debate whether golf is polarizing or not, but that was the sport that they played the most of. Um, I think the there's a for me it's less about polarizing and not versus like generational. So if you go back, Reagan, Nixon, Eisenhower, JFK, Ford played football. In one way, shape, or form, you know. And again, what's fascinating to me is like Nixon was widely described by his his um, 
uh, teammates as a tackling dummy, effectively. He, he was just there to get knocked over. You know, I mean, Nixon's great gift in, uh, there's a quote in the book, Nixon's great gift in football and in life was he got knocked down a lot and he got up a lot, <laughs> you know, um, but they all play. And, and even Reagan, who is an indifferent athlete at best, kind of a big guy, but an indifferent athlete played football. Obviously, Ford played football at an extremely high level. JFK, who had terrible back problems and terrible health problems in general, played football at Harvard because that's what men did. Now, part of that is, I think, for the same reason that it used to be that you would have served in the military if you were going to be in Congress. So it used to be that people saw football as training ground for war. Uh, Eisenhower came out and said that FDR came out and said that, that like young men in America should play football because it's a way that you can be tough and you can be prepared for war with the expectation that we were going to be in these wars pretty much endlessly. And that would be required. Once you get to uh, past, past Reagan, you know, Bush played the elder Bush played baseball, the uh, uh, Clinton didn't really do much of anything. He ran. He, he played a little bit of basketball, but was like very indifferent athlete. Um, uh, George W. Bush really played. He played baseball, but came into his own with endurance sports sort of during the White House, like long rides, long rides on his mountain bike, long runs, that sort of thing. Obama played basketball. And I think that one is at least intriguing from a cultural perspective, because I think Obama in the White House and playing basketball dovetails with the NBA. I mean, I, th this still amazes me. So when I used to watch the NBA, which I did all the time, you would never see the guys arriving for the games. But now everyone shows like what Russell Westbrook is wearing when he walks in, what LeBron James is wearing, like the dovetailing of the NBA and pop culture and coolness. Obama sort of typified that. But I do think it's much more, you know, Trump played a little bit of baseball, Squash, actually, random fun fact: he played squash his freshman year at Fordham, which not many people know. And Biden played Biden back to the old school, though he's older than a lot of these other ones. Played football, so to me, there it's more about generational for, than it is about like what sports were polarizing or not polarizing, or are polarizing or not polarizing. It, the generational thing is real, though, in terms of when you look at who played what when. You mentioned basketball and Barack Obama. Uh, you had in the mm -hmm. book, Basketball Helped Define Who Barack Obama Was as a Black Man in America. You also had uh, some information about a pickup game on the president's 49th birthday. Now, I know some of the yes. language shared at that game by one Kobe yes. Bryant cannot be passed on here. Uh, talk to us <laughs> about Chris Paul, Kobe Bryant, Joachim Noah, and yes. the president. <laughs> So I love this. Um, I talked to a bunch of people who either were in the game or were watching the game. So yes, for 40, for Obama's 49th birthday, he, he invites uh, a bunch of NBA guys, including LeBron, uh, Chris Paul, Co Kobe is there, but does not play Joe Noah from the bulls, Batty, Shane Battier. And there's a point in the game where Obama, who, I talked to a bunch of people about this, trying to figure out as a, as a pickup basketball player myself, one of the things I was most interested in is like, how good is Obama actually at basketball? You know, it's so hard to tell when you're a president because people defer to you. Two well, cards, the president. People, people, exactly. People were deferring to him in this game and halfway through, and I will not use the language Kobe used, but I'll use the sentiment Kobe used. Kobe calls Chris Paul over and says, you know, you're one of the meanest people in basketball, and you're just letting this guy score on you over and over again. You need to play some defense. And so from that point on, 
Obama is shut down. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is like Obama is a perfectly fine pickup basketball player. Obama is not Obama can't play with NBA guys. And that's no knock on him. Like I'm a perfectly fine pickup basketball player in a game with LeBron and Chris Paul and and the guys I just mentioned, you have no chance. But yeah, I love that story. <laughs> um, and I think it speaks to, you know, it, it was hard. I talked to Reggie Love, his body man who, who played at Duke. Uh, I talked to David Axelrod, who is his consultant, who was who was there watching. It's hard to get a sense of Obama, the basketball player. Reggie Love gave me like a little bit of a scouting report that I put in the book, which is, you know, pretty good left handed drive. You can let him shoot struggles to go to his right, which, of course, is like, you know, draw your own political conclusions <laughs> on struggles to go to his right. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, this week is is Jackie Robinson uh, day in Major League yes. Baseball. Jackie Robinson seems to have taken had a role in several presidents from his friend, as you describe it, his friendship or a friendship with with Richard Nixon yep. to to his uh, the impact that he left on Jimmy Carter's family. Can you tell us a little bit about the the, the impact of Jackie Robinson as it comes to not only sports, but politics? Yeah. So, I mean, because of the nature of his, the groundbreaking nature of his, his role as the first African-American player in major league baseball, he has a presence that is more than just sports. And, and he, Jackie Robinson is interested in politics too. One of the things that I think is most fascinating, I, I, I was thinking of this because of Jackie Robinson day, and you mentioned it, but I, I just want to expand on it is he and Nixon were close. Um, Jackie Robinson was an admirer of Nixon. First of all, Jackie Robinson was a Republican, which even at the time, a black Republican was it's it's it was more common then than it is now. But it was not super common. And many of his friends were skeptical of sort of why he was. But um, Jackie Robinson uh, reached out to Nixon when Nixon was Eisenhower's VP, said he thought that Nixon had good thoughts on the um Uh, on civil rights and what should be done in the 1960 campaign, Robinson endorses Nixon. And the reason he does, does that at least in part is because he sees Kennedy sort of playing footsie with Southern governors over race and is, is resentful of that. Now, as things go on in 1964, Republicans nominate Barry, obviously Nixon loses in 60 in 1964, Republicans nominate Barry Goldwater, who to Robinson's mind. And I think he's right. Largely writes off writes off the black vote. Uh, Robinson urges, again, urges Nixon, writes to Nixon, talks to Nixon about getting involved and saying, you know, the the Republican Party wants black voters. Uh, Nixon rebuffs him. He he basically doesn't respond. In 1968, again, Nixon is running the Southern strategy. Uh, uh, Robinson decries that as racist. But even after that, and, and I'm trying to remember, Robinson dies in 71, 70, 71. As he's dying, he writes Nixon a letter. Nixon is obviously in the White House at this point saying, please reconsider. You know, we've been friends at, at, at points in the past. Please reconsider some of your stances on race, because I think you could have a real impact. And Nixon ignores the letter and Robinson dies later. But, yeah, I mean, I think Jackie Robinson is a really good example of someone who transcended sports and politics and certainly transcended sports. And I think we've seen as, as 
I famously grew up when Michael Jordan was was sort of the be all end all in basketball. And Michael Jordan's favorite famous quote, which he says he doesn't didn't say, but is when they said, "Why don't you take a position on political issues?" He said, "Republicans buy sneakers too, right?" And con- contrast that with a LeBron James wearing an "I can't breathe" warm up shirt, and LeBron James's sort of public advocacy on issues of officer-involved shootings and, and other issues. I mean, I just think the blurring of the lines between sports and politics are almost complete now. Jackie Robinson was very much on the cutting edge of that because of who he was in the culture, not just in sports. That leads well to the last one for me, uh, grouping voters by sports. In the book, we see NASCAR dads, soccer moms, mm-hmm. and you close with uh, the Biden chapter on pickleball voters. <laughs> Tell me yes. about identifying voters based on sports and characteristics. So one, just to go back to Nixon just for a minute, you know, so Nixon goes, Nixon is actually a fan. I mean, he, he uses sports for political reasons, too, but he's actually a fan. He goes to the 1969 game of the century uh, college football game between Texas and Arkansas. Um, he does that, at least in part. There's a memo written by one of his aides. He does that, at least in part, because he believes that those are Nixon voters, silent majority voters, college football fans. Now, whether he's right or not. I don't know the answer to it, but I do think that that's how he saw it. I do think that we're getting more compartmentalized in how we think about uh, voters. Bush, as you mentioned, NASCAR dads, Bush ran very strongly on that notion that people who go to NASCAR, you know, have uh, many of whom were in the South, were longtime Democrats by default, but were potential Bush voters. Soccer moms, same thing. People who moms who take their kids to soccer, that they're socially liberal, fiscally conservative. Now, some of these labels, like any label, it's overly broad. It doesn't fit everyone. I'm sure there are soccer moms who are socially conservative and 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 economically liberal, and the vice versa is true, and some who aren't involved in politics at all. But I did want to get into the pickleball thing just because I think it is sweeping the country sports-wise. And I wrote about why Biden should play whether or not he will or not is is a, a, another debate, but because it's right in the wheelhouse of the voter he needs. These are affluent, older voters, by and large, who have aggregated and played this game. And him just going out there, put a pickleball court at the White House and just have him go out and play a few, you know, knock it around a few times, I think would be great for him. Oh, wait. You, so if you play pickleball, that means you're affluent and older? Why, Jeff, you, did you well, play pickleball? You're, you're, <laughs> you're certainly older. You're certainly, it tends oh, to be older. man. It's, it's not always affluent, but it, but like I, I talked to a couple of political people who said, and I said, like, if you had to say what a pickleball voter would look like, they said affluent and older. Chris, I think Jeff just checked off another box on the voter file there. Uh, for I, I, I know, Jason. <laughs> I'm just waiting for how Jason's going to turn this into me. Oh, I'm going to have fun. Don't worry. I'll let you finish and then we'll let him go first, Chef. You get the last one. <laughs> then I'll make right. sure to have fun with you. Well, well, well Chris, you, you've spent three years putting this book together. Apparently, this isn't the end. This, this book is going to spawn a documentary. How exciting is that for you that this may be well, a possibility for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited. For, I mean, from the first of all, possibly spawn a documentary. I feel like I, I don't I don't ever want to say too, too much because it's like I don't have control over. It. But I think it, it, it behooves itself to one. When we initially pitched the book after I wrote a proposal, we pitched it to, uh, among other people, the people who did the last dance, because I said, I just think that this episodically could fit. We talked to them for a long time, wound up not working out, which is fine. Um, 
But I do think there's potential there for a documentary, um, just because I think we we know that people are interested in documentaries about presidents and sports. So this is a documentary about sports and presidents. So I'm hoping that that's the pitch. But yeah, I think that would be really cool. I mean, look, to be honest, to see something that you work on just as like a word file on your computer for so long actually become a physical copy of a book is um a really neat experience. Like my kids, I've been writing, you know, for years, it's my job. My kids are like much more impressed that I've written a book than anything else that I've written because, because they can, they actually can hold it and see it and be like, it has my name on it. You know, it's dedicated to them and they can see all that stuff. So it actually, it moves the needle and coolness with my kids much more than anything else I do. You're like, you know, I do this all day, every day. Right. Like that's what I said. All I do is right. I don't, I just, they don't put it in a hardback and publish it. Chris, Chris, it is a great book and everybody should go out and get it. Where where, other, other than the book, where else can we find you these days? Um, So I am currently writing on Substack. So just Substack, uh, Chris Saliza, my name, Chris, and the last name is C I L L I Z Z A dot Substack.com or just type Chris Saliza Substack. I'm writing daily. It's mostly free. It's just because I like writing. And I enjoy it. You also can go to youtube.com slash crystalism. Again, my name, I'm making videos there. Uh, I'm on the Kornheiser, Tony Kornheiser show once every couple of weeks. Um, and hopefully be popping up a little bit more. Honestly, I've been laying a little bit low, but since the book has come out, I think I have to have to emerge a little more, but, but right now that's where you can see me. Well, the new book is power players, sports, politics, and the American presidency. Crystaliza, thank you for popping back up and giving us some time to talk about it all. Thank you guys. And thanks for your kind words about the book. Jeff, it was a blast to talk to Saliza as the um, political geek uh, in reference. You also in the show, I enjoyed the the crossover of sports what? and politics. Reference me in the show. You're also a political geek. Oh, okay. Just don't I, deny I, it. I, 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 Embrace what you are. Uh, what I here. thought you were doing is referencing my age. No, no, I no, okay. no. Chris right. did that when he called you a pickleball voter, and you. Clear- well, no, no, no. I didn't. He didn't call me one. Well, you related. Yeah. Well, you looked at me, and I assumed that where we were going with that, where you were going with that, is that I must be a pickleball voter. Well, we do a show with each other, so generally yeah. I look at you. So and, I wasn't going to say anything. However, and by the way, I will tell you, I have absolutely no problem voting or playing pickleball because it's actually a lot of fun. So if you want to call me old, I will go play pickleball. I wasn't calling any time. I found your reaction to it very funny because <laughs> you immediately put your hand in your head and you're like, wait a second, what's a pickleball voter? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you realize Chris real, was very confused. You realize real fast yeah. that all of a sudden you now fit into that breakdown yeah. of voter. That was not that was not the the category that I thought that I was included in. But no. oh well. Uh, you're not a NASCAR dad, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I'm and, not. And you're definitely not a soccer mom. No. So you fit in the pickleball voter. Voter, apparently, no. I on the higher. Are those the level, only three categories we have? Believe me, there's plenty more oh, ways to, to break. I play golf, I, and that look, and so there did a lot go. of presidents. And we kind of glossed over that. That cuts both ways for presidents. They do a lot of business out there, but the amount of time they spend on the course they also often cheat a lot issue, out there, depending on which yeah. president more often than others. Apparently, uh, I found the book really entertaining though, and I learned. I mean, I enjoyed the Gatorade bath with the popcorn. I didn't know that Reagan expanded it. I didn't know some of the stuff that was in the book. I just thought. It was pretty cool. It was great to see Harry Carson included in the Any time that you can get a Harry Carson reference, you're happy. Maybe, on a maybe, Philadelphia we, maybe sports we can station, get him to come way. back just to talk about the popcorn. Dust. Just to talk about when he yes. went to the White House. Uh, was there anything to you that, that stood out that 
you know, you didn't know going in. Like it's something that like jumped out and it was just you like, you just mentioned it. It was the fact that how they began to use it and how people that really weren't into sports or weren't very sports centric found ways to use it. That's the part that was fascinating to me is the bolstering of an image through the use of athletics, whether they played it, whether they watched it, whether they went to games with other people, whatever it is. So if you're in the market for a book, the Heart of Sports Book Club finds another one for you, right, Jeff? Yeah, and, and if you asked me, see, if we had set this up the right way, when you said, do I have any last words, I would have had a bucket of popcorn right here. You'd have dumped it on me? dumped it right on your head. Would you have left a mess on the floor so we could argue over who cleans it up like we started the show with? Darn right. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org.